imagine there's no heaven It's easy if you try No hell below us Above us, only sky found out that uh, you had to go out to your driveway, uh, driveway every morning and sing Imagine was the only way to defeat COVID-19. No thanks. I'll, I'll die from the <laughs> oh, virus. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of okay with dying from the virus anyway. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to Seattle Sucks, a podcast about hating the city we love. The city that became the national epicenter. Of uh, fun when we sang that song earlier. Yeah. That was fun. That was fun for everybody listening, too. I'm sure they loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just they're all getting excited for a future Seattle Sucks karaoke night. Of course, done all over the computer uh, with nobody within you know five blocks of each other. <laughs> well, more and more people are saying this podcast is bigger than Jesus. So, <laughs> Brian, you know I'm in my car outside your house, right? <laughs> yeah, we actually, everybody's in my driveway, but we're maintaining social distancing <laughs> by just being in each in our individual car. <laughs> I mean, it was the only way we could think to do it. <laughs> it's the only way that made sense. It's, I mean, broadcasting from your car is the main way information is transmitted in the 21st century. So I think, you know, mm-hmm. we're in good company. Yeah, and your car is actually a uh, like you know disease and germ free zone. You actually cannot be affected or you know impacted by coronavirus while in your car. So if you just never leave your car, you're safe. That makes sense. Yeah. How are you guys holding up? By the way, I mean, you know how 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 are you taking this, Colin? Uh, not not particularly well. Enjoying uh, <laughs> the extra time at home. Uh, extra time at home just means I'm further transforming into a domesticated goddess. So, uh, that sounds nice. All I ever wanted to be was a stay at home <laughs> dad. Well, it's a, uh, Sisyphusian, uh, a role, but yeah, it's, it's been rough. It's definitely been rough and we have to take it. We have to take it very, very seriously because we've been advised that if, uh, we were to get it, then when we have the baby, which will almost certainly still be during this quarantine, we would have to be separated. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah, it's uh, the stakes are pretty high. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, death is a high stake too, but yeah, um, 
Yeah. So. Yeah, it can't be good in general for for Rachel and the the baby on the way. How's yeah. how's the the little one, the the one that's uh, already born taking it? <laughs> <laughs> good job, you, Greg. You know, she's well, we've hammered it home a little bit too much. So she's talking a lot about the illness. So if you ever wondered where all of those <laughs> terms from uh, young adult dystopian novels come from, they come <laughs> from uh, tired parents, I guess. But uh, So we're hearing a lot about the illness. A lot of her toys are getting sick, having oh, yeah. to see the doctor, that kind of thing. But otherwise, she's doing okay, getting a little bit uh, wound up in the house, but but doing pretty well. She's all got a backyard considered. to run around in, right? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, but we, I mean, we were very active before, like, we'd go do things and go take walks in parks, and now it's a little bit more difficult, so. Oh, well, uh, now Z just has to live like, um, any other, like, schlub kid with, like, boring, uh, lazy parents, uh, who have no time <laughs> yeah. for them, so. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh i you know i can't uh feel too sorry for her um, yeah there are worse things yeah <laughs> or you for that matter no um, thanks but you brian how are you taking it how, how, how's how are you and Bryn holding up in the double wide oh it's wonderful um basically we've been making sure that every meal we cook takes at least eight hours so. <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like no, i smoked is... a bunch of oh yeah yeah that's the way yeah, it's yeah, I smoked a bunch of corned beef the other day, so that was Dude, like a six-hour process. It. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Really? It came out fantastic. Really? Yeah, we I, made, I made uh, corned beef the other day. I, I did it ooh. the traditional way and boiled the fuck out of it. Yep. Uh, but it turned out fantastic, actually. I just finished it this morning. With some, it was... Some hash, but it was... It was it turned out it was a really good corned beef. Yeah, I was going for the packs that they have. We're going for like a little over two bucks a pound over at Fred Meyer. So I was oh, like, well. fuck it. And I bought about 10 pounds of corned beef. Oh, my God. And just threw it on the smoker. And so I'm like loaded up now. Dude, that sounds amazing. But, no, that is the real trick. Like, what do you got to do? You got to eat. Uh, what's the best activity? Just cooking that food. I mean, like, you can really blow like whole days. Like, I, that's actually like, yeah, I mean, that's how I was. That that I that's I learned this trick from my dad, you know, like that hanging out with him he's like a hermit in the woods which is good because if he gets this he will die um <laughs> i mean really like he really will um his like uh, respiratory problems and uh it's good he's a hermit in the woods who just spends all his time literally cooking baking and eating so um <laughs> yeah i've been trying to do a lot of that no. uh I, I, yet oh as i say the other thing we did because brent's like showing it to me and uh just like trying to throw it at me she just received her twilight box set that has all the movies in it and so we're gonna be watching that oh, now she's wow. yelling across the room <laughs> uh, yeah so we're gonna be watching all the twilight movies now. oh good well that sounds fun that sounds like a good time yeah i wish i could join you um yeah we should uh have a screening when this is all over at your house and just uh eat all your smoked meats and uh, well, you're gonna be out of smoke you'll have more smoked meats in the future um yep. do a marathon uh yeah uh, uh you know i am my my life has changed very little frankly i feel like everyone whining about being like cooped up in their house like i, I live on a sailboat i'm i'm basically here all the time anyway i don't really do anything uh loneliness is something i'm very familiar with uh uh <laughs> not super uh phased about um 
like my like normal routine in life, like falling apart and never coming back uh, because like I never really liked it anyway. So yeah, um, but uh, have any of you guys been like congregating in large groups and having fun, like uh, partying in parks and beaches and stuff? How about doing any of that? I'll say, well, it is spring break, so you know I like to get my base tan going. Uh, just head down to like China Gardens, just have a real party, you know, you know, it goes. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, I, I think it's, uh, I guess this is something I want to talk about is like, you know, we're in the middle of this really unprecedented, uh, fucking catastrophe. Um, we're talking about it just now in terms of like, you know, how we're having to sit around the house, but it is this, it is this genuinely massive thing. A lot of people are going to die. The economy is is going to be fucking upended completely. Um, some of those people are going to die from being, you know, after our medic, our shitty medical system loses a battle uh, with the virus, some will just never get that medical attention. Uh, some will just die from some other thing because they can't get in to get medical attention. And some people will just fucking starve. Um, yeah. And well, it's worth uh, mentioning that Seattle Times actually just had an article talking about how the Washington State Department of Health is already having their triage discussions about yeah. who's going to live and who's going to die in this. I mean, this is serious, you know, it's very so serious. It's just, to, just to put an exclamation point on your comment there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what, you know, I mean, I think it's no surprise to any of us and something that is getting through to some people, at least, is that, you know, this didn't necessarily have to be like this. Um we, you know, I mean, we know, I mean, I think a lot of the talk is about the fact that, you know, the Trump administration obviously has badly bungled this or I don't know, maybe they're, in you know, somebody there is intentionally trying to kill uh, millions of the most vulnerable people. Who knows? Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we didn't take the early precautions. We didn't have the early mass testing. Um, the communication has been horrendous, including obviously just like uh, outright deflection and bullshit and, and, you know, lying from the Trump administration from the man himself. Um, but it's in that context, like, but also like even like our system can't handle it anyway. Like we have uh, like two beds per thousand people in America, hospital beds, you know, um, that number has crashed since, you know, neoliberal austerity began in this country. Um, you know, Italy, which is seeing like a major crisis, right? Ha has a, has more than that. Not much more. They are, they've also seen at least in the last 10 years, you know, 12 years, um, crushing austerity. Um, and so they have a weakened system as well, but it's still not as bad as ours. Um, but it's not just like the health system. So the health, so, we're now in this thing where we're being told if you're actually, and if you're listening to this, this can't possibly be the only media you consume. So you're probably on some level getting sources, you know, of people telling you that this, how serious this is, what the need is, which is to stretch out the length of uh, the effect of this virus to not overwhelm our medical system, which it seems like a point we may be beyond basically. Um, unless drastic action is taken and that this drastic action is basically a uh, quarantine of the entire population outside of necessary uh, workers to keep the rest of us alive um, and trips to the grocery store. And what is interesting. So, I mean, a lot of people are taking that to heart. Of course, that's what a lot of people are doing. Um, but I, I'm, we're seeing like 
you know, you mentioned, yeah, there's the Spring Breakers out in Florida and Mass. There's people, even I was reading The Stranger, you know, someone posted that, you know, out on some of the hiking trails, some of the, the vistas, like, were crowded with people this weekend. And there's, you know, I just see a lot of people, like, shaming those people. And it's it's real easy to dunk on those dumb fucking spring breakers. Um, but I think, like, you got to take a step back and understand that this is this. This is if you know that this is serious and that this is can only be curbed at this point by massive quarantine. If you understand that our um, medical system is going to get overwhelmed, if you understand how serious the virus actually is, the miserable death um uh, or near-death experience it's causing for a lot of people. Um, the fact that uh, even people, even young people, sometimes do have to be hospitalized and are even dying. Um, if you know that, it's because you are you're clued in in some way. You know, you're you follow you read a newspaper. Okay, well, I mean, most people don't. It's just like any other media bubble question we've had. Like, we can't get mad at these people for not obeying what is basically at this point a bunch of conflicting bullshit from all directions over the course of months, much of which early on was to downplay it. And now even, even here in Washington state where at least early on, you know, a couple of weeks ago, people were praising Inslee's like tough talk on this. Um, but he has not only not, you know, and, and now he's getting criticism for not actually doing a stay, you know, a shelter in place order, but you got to ask, you got to wonder, but like people, have heard him talk and he's saying, you know, these stuff, tough words about like, we really need to do this. You got to get inside. But I, you got to ask yourself, what if he did issue a shelter in place order in some press conference? Like, is that going to change people's behavior? No, because they're nobody's nobody. Ha, we don't have systems for explaining or telling this to people. Nobody, you know, people don't watch their local news when they do. They, a lot of people think of it probably as sort of hyped bullshit. Um, nobody believes the hype anymore. And people are getting probably a lot of, a lot, you got to remember like a large portion of people just get what little information they have, what like uh, gists and impressions they get like fourth hand on Facebook. Um, that <laughs> a piece of information that originated with Donald Trump, you know, um, or some meta commentary on what, he or some other ent government entity is doing or saying. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, one, <laughs> people are getting a lot of their information from Facebook, which if you've gone onto your Facebook feed and looked at anybody talking about coronavirus, that is a scary thought. But um, the other part of it, too, is that it wasn't just that neoliberalism, like, gutted the state's ability to respond to these things. It delegitimized in people's Absolutely. minds the, the state's, you know, duty to respond to this. So the other thing, too, is, you know, yeah, even if Inslee came out and did the right thing, the degree to which anybody would listen to them at this point, probably fairly low, right? Well, people aren't looking to the state in this crisis. Right. They're not looking to the state because it's, it is delegitimized. It's been shown to not be able to handle, you know, to really have a, an effect in the world, but it's also lost its ability to communicate. Um, mm -hmm. And the people in charge like Inslee and the people around him have lost even the knowledge of what that would look like or the imagination to figure it out. If you want people to start as a population on mass, which is something we have we don't do in America. Um, we don't communicate broadly. We have we wring our hands about like, oh gosh, like people just aren't getting the right news, the fake news, because and we just have to push, you know, signal boost the right narratives or like work on having, you know, better media deliver better messages or whatever, or we criticize. But like we don't have mass communication in this 
country, um, we there are few options open. If you want to affect a population in mass, you're going to have to do some real concrete things. There's going to have to be uh, ads playing, you know, on the radio every time on every TV station. That's not going to be enough. You're going to have to put up billboards at every place people congregate outside of every supermarket. You're going to have to have a giant board that tells people exactly what's going on, how serious it is, why it is, you know, whatever. Um, it would have to look like a mass mobilization. And even if Jay Inslee puts out an order, um, a legal order, like that's not going to have that effect. Now, the flip side is, though, what because I think the, these this reality is like on one hand, that reality is like foreign to Jay Inslee and to the people in power, the people who run our government. I mean, it hasn't even the, the one tool they might have is, you know, the like uh, cell phone, like alert messages the state can use in emergencies. Um, they could send out stuff like that. They could, you know, that's maybe one thing that could actually mm -hmm. get out, but they haven't done it. Um, but I think largely like they don't even have like the creativity or the imagination to think about stuff like this. And so what I think, what I think we will see is that in their minds, what they're waiting to do in part is move to some kind of, uh, legally enforceable order, whether if that's called a, you know, a shelter in place order or whatever that skips all these things I, I, I was just talking about of how you get a, how you could mobilize a message and get it out to people and explain to people and, and see that what they're doing now is not working and, and move to the next step, which is legal enforcement. And this is what we come back to on the show all the time is like, there's, I mean, there's no fucking carrot. Uh, in this case, there's not even any communication. All they can really think to do, well, they're doing this lame communication. He's doing these press conferences and like, gosh, we're trying to get this message out and gosh, people aren't listening. Um, and it's, it's limp. It's not, it's just not doing it. And so I think possibly part of the resistance to giving a, a bigger order is that he knows or believes or that in their minds, the next step is cops, um, is cops driving, you know, patrolling every street, yelling at people to get in their houses, issuing tickets, who the fuck knows what, clearing places out, um, shutting down businesses. I mean, this is, uh, sounds like it's starting something like this in Los Angeles right now. Um, maybe, uh, they seem to be getting more serious in New York, but again, I, you know, it, you know, and everyone's hot on Cuomo right now, but it's like, they got to a point there where, they're getting them. Maybe they're getting them. I don't really know because I'm not there, but they're taking it a little more seriously because they're being overwhelmed. Like we're getting to this emergency point and then having to react. And I think that's the scary thing is that we're skipping our, our, our it's just like we've seen with every other function in our society for uh, social welfare is we have no tools left, but the cops. And I think that's what we're going to see here in Seattle. Well, yeah, I mean, there'll be temptation to use the police because they're there. There's a lot of them, et cetera. I mean, we talked about like, you know, off mic about what you'd actually have to do in a quarantine, like put, you know, signs up on posts and stuff like that. The state doesn't even have like the apparatus to do that. I mean, what it has is cops. Like that, yeah. that's, that's like 90% of their employees, right? And so it's, uh, and the police aren't going to do that. You know, the police only do what they do, right? So it's, it's the sort of disturbing thing, I think it's also the extent to which the American mind has been wrapped around this idea is like the stick and the punishment is the only solution. I mean, in the last debate where 
you know, they kept t- <laughs> the last debate. The Biden's theme was that he was going to war with coronavirus. They even had a question of, uh, you know, should we attack China <laughs> for the coronavirus? Yeah. I mean, you just got this feeling like, I guess we're just going to shoot the virus until it stops infecting us. And uh, yeah, it just seems that part of the imagination is even gone of like how to do an actual collective response to something. Well, that's why I don't like this, this sort of shaming of people who are just like living their lives the best way they can. Maybe they've got some days off for the first time in a while and they're looking at their lives falling apart and going, well, fuck, maybe I'm going to go with my family out to a fucking beach. And I'm like, or I'm going to go, you know, drink on a beach somewhere with a bunch of kids. I don't know. But um, like, because by, you know, by shaming these people, by getting angry at these people who the state has not, the system has not adequately informed or reached out to you are mm-hmm. i think ultimately setting the stage i mean it's not going to be these people's fault. i'm not trying to like blame anyone who's you know but like you are ultimately it plays into and is a part of this conservative um idea this like centrally conservative idea that we have and that our the state has in our culture that uh people have to be controlled that um you know by force and I think, well, I think co- that's what's coming. When it comes down to this idea that this is, you know, a product of individual irresponsibility, right? Because that's the only way we can yeah. sort of understand things. As opposed to maybe the reason why people are out and not taking this seriously is the completely garbled, mangled message from everybody who's in charge, right? You yeah. have uh, the Biden campaign, you know, saying, uh, companies, could you please not use, you know, bailout funds for stock buybacks or not, just whatever you want to do, right? You know, we have the governor here saying, like, it's very serious that people stay inside, but not so serious that I'm actually going to tell you to do it, <laughs> you know? So it's it's all back and forth. Even the mayor of Everett is at the most sort of strong kind of reaction to this is the mayor of Everett had the whole thing about, like, I want everybody to shelter in, sp- in place except for essential, you know, businesses. Oh, yeah. And uh, massive exception for Boeing, our largest, you know, employer here. Yeah. Uh, your business is essential just just because. Right. And so the message has been garbled the entire way of like, this is really important or this is very serious, except for it's not really, you know, <laughs> like so they, they sort of speak out of both sides of the mouth. And uh, yeah. So what a, yeah, what a shock that people don't know how to interpret. This. Could this possibly yeah. fucking be if we have to keep assembling planes that uh, no one wants to buy i mean we're not even talking about the 737 which they already actually shut down for uh other reasons uh a couple months ago but the at the everett plant like still no one wants to buy this shit first of all yeah boeing's like name is just absolutely tarnished now completely because they you know i've been shown to just be a complete basket case of a company uh they need a massive bailout to survive which they're asking for and the fucking global economy is crashing. I'm sorry. No one is paying on those orders. The airlines yeah, do yeah. not. They don't pay ahead of time for those planes. They literally don't hand over the money until the plane is like goes through its like first flight and they're over fucking international waters. And then they sign the papers and like uh, send the cash through. Like they're not taking the or- those fucking orders. Like they're not doing it. Those are going to just keep piling up. Like what the fuck? It's all... It's Boeing's like, again, they, it's all, it's just like the rest of our economy. It's this fiction that has to keep going for some reason because, you know, how else would this yeah. round of executives get their golden parachutes in a year, you know? Well, that and the tension for Boeing is if they're late on an order, 
they have to pay a penalty, right? Yeah. And so in their mind, they're like, well, you know, the company's already doing poorly, so we don't want to start falling behind our schedule and be late on orders and have to pay penalties. But I guess the reason why nobody takes any of this shit seriously is every step of the way, I mean, just think of how like sort of callous a judgment that's being made here. It's Boeing's like, we might lose an additional few million dollars on late orders, so therefore let's uh, risk killing <laughs> You know, maybe a couple hundred people, right? They're essentially making the same calculus that caused the 737 disaster, yeah, uh, except for this one's with their own workers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're either they're they're like end of the line customers, the passengers, or they're workers. Mm-hmm. I mean, either way, they're poor's relatively who don't matter. You know? Yeah. And the whole thing is basically like uh, coronavirus is serious unless it affects Boeing's bottom line. Then it's not serious. And, you know, the reason why our state is the only state of the ones that have like major, you know, outbreaks, right? We're the goddamn epicenter. But we don't have shelter in place is because of Boeing. Boeing literally won't let Inslee do it. And so Inslee's not going to do it, right? But when people see this, you know, again, we shouldn't be shocked that they don't take this whole thing seriously. Well, like, right. Because and when that's when when that's how decisions are being made, why would you take anything seriously? Well, right? and I no, that's real. And and I don't think we mean like someone's, you know, all, like hundreds of thousands of people are doing that analysis exactly. But it's what you yeah. see around you. Yeah, if you're in Everett, and it's like, oh yeah, Boeing's still going to work, but we're asking everybody to, you know, shelter in place to slow down. What you're thinking is, okay, that's probably, you know, this. It sounds like they're taking extra precautions and like whatever you don't mm-hmm. it's it's not believable it's not fucking credible basically and yeah why should you plus and that's if you i still am skeptical that even fucking half the population of the state has even gotten a clear message to stay home like people are yeah. getting messages you know where they're getting messages from their job their job is telling them either go work from home which is you know in the case of white collar workers like that has happened most places everywhere else mm-hmm. has been up to now telling their workers come into work and they're not going to do that. They're not going to change until the state orders them to do so. And so, yeah, that's where we're at with that. I mean, yeah, my uh, landlord did send us a letter uh, or an email letting, cause it's a big rental company has a lot of properties. So they sent us a email letting us know that in this, in these troubling times, that they're practicing social distancing over at their office and that they were going to find a way to overcome and collect our rent this month anyway. <laughs> so oh, make sure we still pay it. <laughs> so, Super cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think most people are like, look, you know, I, I think for, it is a reasonable thing for a person to say, if this is really so serious, how come, uh, yeah, how come they're you know, making people stay home? How come they haven't done moratoriums on rents and stuff and they're still letting landlords evict everybody, well, right? That's like, what's fucked you up. Know, every, every sign from the side is it's not serious. Right. right? So who cares? And I get that, the, you know, the people who are getting real angry at the people out here are people who are paying attention and who know how serious this is. And I get it um, mm. because it is that serious. This is, this is a catastrophe like no one alive like has been through. This mm-hmm. is going to, this is, it's just starting. Like this is going to kill a lot of people and it's going to wreck uh, uh, a lot of people's lives and potentially entire society. This could be, this could really genuinely lead to massive like political upheaval um, or like a, at least a historical change. I mean, I, I've been really sort of terrified by um, the sort of national political developments. I mean, you've got and this has been talked about a lot at this point, I think, in certainly in left media anyway. But the fact that you've got, you know, the corporate neoliberal uh, deficit hawk party, the Democrats, 
you know, trying to water shit down and, uh, you know, talk about uh, Nancy Pelosi actually talking about the debt, the national debt in this conversation. And you Mm -hmm. and the first people to come out and say the things that really needed we really need, which are immediate direct cash payments other than Bernie Sanders, of course, are fucking Mm -hmm. we're fucking Tom Cotton and Mitt Romney. Now, yeah. that's fucking terrifying. And it is like one of the clearest illustrations of, you know, a narrative that we I think we've heard a lot um, again in left media over the last years of this realignment of, you know, the Democrats into this sort of deficit hawk corporate party since the 70s. But now the the Republican Party as having shifted uh, by by, you know, in the 90s. Fox News, Newt Gingrich, like using that the strategy of using um, the you know the extreme extreme wacko right at you know as a part of their base um, and playing them up. You know, then you get the Tea Party in 2010, and you get uh, Donald Trump in 2016, and now you've got a party that was once a um, religiously laissez-faire. Um, you know, market orthodoxy, uh, you know, preserve uh, right libertarian, um, you know, ethos at all costs to keep corporate profits flowing and prevent any other sort of uh, any other entities in society from having any power to this group of Republicans now who don't give a shit about that stuff. They're not they don't have any market religion. They're white nationalists who want to be in power. And have other fucking mm-hmm. weird ideas you couldn't even fucking figure out. And if they manage to do, uh, if they manage to give out this, give out cash to everybody and re- and take credit for it, and you know that's you're talking about a a, a white nationalist racist party doing Harrenvolk social welfare. I mean that's mm-hmm. you're talking about like fascism, man, and that. Oh, sure. It's a powerful yeah. fucking mixture, and there, there's no one, there's almost no one to stop them. Well, if you get to November and the message from Trump, say, is, hey, do you remember how, you know, me and the Republican Party gave you guys all a check for $1,000? Uh, all the while, this guy, you know, over here, Sleepy Joe over here, was hiding in a bunker somewhere, and nobody knew where he was. And Nancy Pelosi was trying to, like, make that $1,000 check, a $200 check. You guys remember all that? And then he'll win all 50 states. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's... Uh, it's terrifying. The I- yeah, I mean, you know, the difference between the Republicans and the Democrats, the Republicans and Democrats is Republicans actually know how to like build on support and how to like actually win elections and care about it. And the Democrats don't. Well, it hasn't been more anyway, clear I, than I in think, this moment. You know, I think it's not even just that it's like yeah. it's that this is a new Republican Party that has totally different priorities and instincts. You know, this is mm-hmm. basic. That's the fucked up thing is like, yes, of course. It's not like they're. I don't think it's even political genius to like to come out with, oh, we need to help regular people. It is actually just pretty basic. It's obvious. obvious. It's economically obvious. It is literally in this situation, the only thing to help the broader economy, not just regular people, because it's going to have to be from the bottom up because this is so pervasive. So they see that it's just kind of fucking obvious that this is what has to happen. There's really no question. What's fucked up is you now have the Democratic Party that is what the Republican Party was at one time, which is a party that is just completely made up of people who were manufactured 
to believe in a bullshit economic religion that was dreamed up to sell shitty policy, but doesn't actually make any sense or, you know, so like, Mm -hmm. but they are committed to it because that's who they are. And so, yeah. So in the face with, with them on one side, the Republicans are just going to, might just actually do the thing. Now, I don't know. Um, Mitch McConnell doesn't seem to want to do that. So we'll see, but I don't know. It's a bad, I mean, I, I, like stopped in my tracks when I saw it when first when Tom Cotton was like, yeah, we got to get cash out like uh, right now and every month till this is over. Like that it's terrifying. Um, and I think the last thing to say about that uh, sort of national politics is that I think, I think we have to see because like that this is this anything's up in the air. Look, full on uh, fascism in America uh with a like a real base of power or whatever the i think this has to tell us even if it's ends up being uh futile i mean we have to continue this primary and we have to try and get we have to leave everything on the field and i I think that means bernie sanders himself has to leave everything on the field to try and win this primary Mm -hmm. at this point um and anything who knows maybe maybe it's impossible but because look joe biden is not to be found anywhere the economy is falling apart. Um, it could change people's calculus. And if Bernie, um, you know, if he takes a new tack and actually starts attacking, who knows? Who the fuck knows what could happen? Who knows? Maybe the elections, maybe the, they won't even happen. I don't fucking know. But I, I think if he walks away from it at this point, um, you know, I think he'll will be, it'll be a betrayal. I mean, look, he was never the perfect guy for this he was just the only guy um and i think he needs to like do like really actually now make the sacrifice of not of uh going against his own personal feelings and uh really campaigning hard um and really like taking the democrats to task uh so i don't know yeah yeah it's it's you know time to actually start calling out the Democratic Party for how shitty it is. Like, yeah, or at least Joe whether Biden. It's, yeah, floating a corpse like Biden or uh, writing a sickly bill that writes out 80% of workers, you know. Uh, it's time to start pointing out that they're the problem too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and if, and look, that's, I think sometimes the narrative is like, oh, Sanders is this, this politician has made a lot of sacrifice over, you know, his political career. I think that's not right i think i don't think he's made a lot of sacrifice i think he's actually had a very successful political career he's been in an elected office since the early 80s um what he's had is a backbone and a moral worldview that is good and he wants to help people and he's been stubborn and he's not pursued like short-term political gain because he's stubborn and he wants to do things his way and he believes what he believes and that's what's made him the only possible person now uh because he's the only person who did that over the last several generations but that's not that wasn't like him you know maintaining his um you know his left views and identifying as a socialist wasn't some political sacrifice first of all it it worked it's worked for him his whole career um it was stubbornness and now he needs to make a sacrifice and do things he's not comfortable with and start throwing fucking punches and really um and what maybe it means also fucking kissing press ass i don't know so, but he's got to do all the thing, whatever it is to win, because, I mean, you can't you cannot leave this country to either Donald Trump or Joe Biden or we'll all fucking we're just going to die. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not good. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the only thing I would add is that there's a lot of talk that's going around during this crisis, right. About like, you know, about mutual aid and stuff, which is all good, but we should caution people that, uh, this crisis shows that you actually do need a functional state. Like, we're not going to form regional committees to, you know, handle a global pandemic, right? Like, uh, this crisis has reasserted the value of the state and the fact that uh, it's not the a state apparatus is the problem. It's having, you know, a capitalist class that only can, cares about profit in charge of it that is the problem. And... Yeah, I think this whole crisis to draw that into some stark relief so that we don't just become like the other side of the neoliberal coin of, uh, you know, everything that's the state is bad by, you know, default. And uh, we'll just form mutual aid societies amongst ourselves. We're going to fucking die if we do that. Well, I I think even so, there are going to be some good uh, mutual aid opportunities um, that we should mm-hmm. do because it's good to help people. And it's good. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Uh, venue for organizing as well. Um, yep, that's what you need to be doing while you do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tr- treat it like you're in Hamas. So, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Or taking up your yes. garbage to defeat mm-hmm. Israel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, uh, listeners out there, if you have, like, good uh, mutual aid opportunities, we'll try to repost those, send them our way. Because um, that is, you know, I'm an, I'm now laid off again. I'm going to have some time. I'm going to try and, you know, figure out how to do some of that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, should we talk about uh, how how best to spend uh, the quarantine? Lighten it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. End on a high note. Yeah. What, uh, you got? Yeah. Well, you got any? Uh, what, what kind of game recommendations you got over there, Colin? Well, this was a big week in gaming. In fact, because both Animal Crossing and Doom Eternal came out, mm-hmm. neither neither of which I have had a chance to play, but uh, I've I've heard good things about both. I already bought Doom Eternal, so I'm looking forward to uh, playing that. What system um, is that on? It's PC and I think all of the consoles, oh, okay. except for Switch. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, and Animal Crossing is only on Switch. Switch right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Maddie and Selena, got, you know, uh, friends of the show, have mm-hmm. uh, gotten Animal Crossing and have assured me that it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. If you got it, we could play. Yeah, um, you can visit each other's desert islands. It's kind of a uh, uh, <laughs> a thematically um, consistent game for the, the times we're living in, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's all anyone's posting about. I, um, yeah, I have no yeah. idea what it all means. But this is this is a sequel to a game that people played already. It's it's a very popular game that was on Nintendo sixty four. I mean, this is a really? new version of it, but basically based off of that. Yeah, sixty four. Yeah, it was on sixty four in Japan, yeah. and then it came out uh, on GameCube in America. The oh. same game, and now that, that came out in like two thousand one or something. And that's the yeah, last time so there was an, there was one of these games. No, there was one in between. They they come out like every seven years, I think. Yeah, oh, but like it's it must have been games. really popular because everybody seems to know knew it was. Coming yeah, it's like. It's huge. I played it at the time. And I it was a lot of fun. I loved it, uh, but I didn't play the one in the middle, so I don't. I can't speak to it. <laughs> well, I know I watched a movie about two weeks ago that I can recommend for Colin, given his situation. Ooh. Yeah, this is a film called Dark Circles, written by and directed by one of the guys from uh, what Broken Lizard or whatever the people who made Super oh, yeah. Troopers. Uh-huh. 
And so this is a horror movie about a couple that just had a kid. The kid's crying all the time. They can't sleep. They're suffering from insomnia. Uh And so they start imagining that uh, somebody or something is living in their house and is threatening them. Uh, And it sort of uh, spirals down from there. Mm. But uh, I just thought, you know, I'd toss that out there for you, Colin. I mean, for no reason, just thought you might enjoy it. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I'll have to check that out. (laughs) What about you, you, Craig? Craig? Well, gosh, um, you know, uh, I don't really play games. Uh, movies are stupid. <laughs> uh, I hate them. <laughs> All Greg's movie recommendations. Just go back to the golden age of cinema when trains came out of tunnels. <laughs> Sunset Boulevard. Left work. Yeah, it hasn't really improved <laughs> since then. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess I want to give, I mean, this is maybe a bit hack, but like, um, Now's the time. Uh, you know, you've had this recommendation before. I know everyone, but um, it really, this might be the moment to finally binge Star Trek. Oh, fuck <laughs> off. Boo. 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 Oh, Boo come on. Man. Oh, come on. No, no. Listen, Boo. listen. I'm no. going to tell you Boo. about how you binge Star Trek, okay? Listen, you don't. That's step your one. friends have told you those 90s Star Trek shows are so great. Well, they love them. Watch Galaxy Quest and stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, maybe, you know, oof. First of all, you can absolutely skip uh, that all new of show them. Picard. Which is, <laughs> oh, I, I could skip that one the, and that one. The only. worst, some of the worst. Jason's been making me watch it, and it is some <laughs> of the worst trash I have ever seen. It is some of the laziest, dumbest writing. Like it, it's just an absolute like nothing. It's a bunch of ideas that there's a bunch of like mystery that they insinuate in the first episode, and then by the second episode. You know, they're all just like, yeah, this is true. I have no evidence, but we're going to base everything else on this. And then they all just suddenly in the next few episodes, you realize like without ever solving any mysteries, they're all just like, yes, this is the truth. And then the by episode eight, they're like, oh, fuck, uh, the season's going to end soon. We should probably just do some big information dumps to explain all of our like weird uh, conspiracy theory, <laughs> mythic backstory mysteries just to like dump it out. Like all the things that we put on our big bubble in the right, like bubble board on the writer's room. Uh, and we'll just say it all in dialogue and that'll be it. And just a bunch of nothing happens in between um, several episodes that literally just sit around the house. Uh, there's really <laughs> only a couple of sets for the whole show. It's very, it's very like has that slick, you know, contemporary tv look but if you know what you're watching for it's incredibly cheap um it's like there's two sets and then a location every week um god it sucks uh <laughs> it sucks so much is this a jj abrams production no it's not bad robot but it's um it's the same it's uh what's his face alex kurtzman who was who wrote the star trek for jj abrams who also wrote the with his uh partner wrote the uh the Transformers films, one of the biggest hacks in all of Hollywood <laughs> who, when he got, you know, the show brought in the other, maybe the other biggest hack writer in all of Hollywood, Akiva Goldsman, um, who yeah. won the Academy Award for uh, uh, A Beautiful Mind. Um, <laughs> and it's been like coasting on that ever since, which that movie sucks, by the way. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> Ron Howard, piece of shit. Uh, Time for a little game about theory. a about yeah about <laughs> exactly about fucking uh, what's what's his fucking what's his face Nash uh, Nash yeah John Nash. Yeah. Um, ugh, absolute dog shit. Um, but if you want to finally binge some Star Trek, uh, don't just don't do it. Okay, yeah, my favorite. Enough. One of my favorite show of all time, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's the political one. It's the most interesting. It's the <laughs> one that like develops the most interesting, has the best, has the most like the deepest characters, the m- most interesting plot lines. You can't start with that. It's it's like going in uh, the deep end. Um, no, the only way to start is with Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, if you are ready to go like gung ho, start from the beginning, knowing that poof, man, the first like many episodes in some ways, the whole first season is like batshit crazy and like sometimes just incredibly like comically bad and weird. But it has like the first episode is like a two hour episode, but it was like two hour long scripts that they like jammed together at the last minute. And really, if you stop to think, none of it really makes sense and is it's kind of insane but it has like this inescapable like verve that you just it's so like different from any other tv you've ever seen also the remastered next generation looks beautiful like it was beautifully shot and then just you know broadcast like in crappy resolution on tv and it looks great um or if if you start that and you're like gosh this seems like it sucks I'm not drawn in by the like <laughs> cinema quality. Keep watching more Star Trek. <laughs> if, if you're turn around, you know you're not drawn in by the really like strongly optimistic vision of the future and the gravitas of these characters and the interesting colors and the the futuristic sets you would want to lit have be your apartment building, um, or the like cinema quality ILM effects uh, that like hold up to this day very well for the most part. Um, if that doesn't draw you in because it's just so fucking weird in 1987, um, you know, look up uh, some lists of people's favorite Next Generation episodes. Yeah, like Fistful of Data. Uh, fuck That's off. the best no, one. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. Um, uh, look up some, you know, watch like 10 episodes that are, that are people's favorites, you know. Um, and but not my favorite, apparently. No. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, that's one where Data good. goes on trial and he's like, am I not a man? That's, that's from, I believe, season two, maybe season one. That's Measure of a Man. Oh, my God. Which oh, yeah, actually, the guest appearance character, Bruce Maddox, the scientist who wants to take Data like to study him, is a character. He just appears in that episode. He's a character in the Picard show. Oh, my God. They bring that wow. character back. Um, so... Hollywood magic. Oh, it's exactly. a different actor. So th- this might be where I ruin our friendship, but uh, I actually think the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek is pretty good. I enjoy it. It's <laughs> it's entertaining. It moves fast. If yeah, you think about it for a second, it makes no sense also, but um, it's just full of insane plot about... holes. But it's fun. It's a fun, neat yeah. romp. The, the second one is extremely bad. Uh, and the third one's fun too. It's fine. Um, it might even, I might even like the third one, the best of all of those. Okay. But Star Trek, the next generation, if you, you know, get into it, you watch some good episodes. You're like, wow, this is good. Um, you know, there's no, everybody has happen. lists of like favorite ones, the most classic <laughs> ones. No one has lists. Um, you yeah. know, then start from the beginning, watch it. You'll fall in love with the characters. You'll, 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 you'll wish you had a boss like Picard, someone with whose sort of moral center, uh, was so clear. 
you you'll wish you had a friend like Data, um, someone who <laughs> so innocent and uh, childlike, uh, you know, interacts with the world. Um, you will, uh, of course, people talk a lot. You know, a lot of people. You know, you've probably heard about the sort of uh, interesting politics of Star Trek. Uh, and maybe you've heard it both sides, like people saying, yeah, it's it's uh, socialism in the 24th century or no, it's that's bullshit. The thing is, um, it's not consistent. I mean, the sh- you know, it's a TV show, you know, but a lot of the ideas that made the original series interesting in the late 60s um, continued on in that show. It started, started in 1987 um, are really are. I mean, do paint a picture of a specifically, or I should say actually a vaguely socialist future uh, of some kind. It is, when people are skeptical, it's like, well, they're on this like na- this military ship and, you know, they're going from place to place like, you know, and it's basically colonialism. And, you know, the truth of that is that the whole, sh- the original show and the next generation is the same sort of concept. Yeah, it was sort of um, based on, the idea was to do like, uh, you know, Horatio Hornblower, Master and Commander in space, you know, so it, it, it has these naval trappings and maybe that is not a great, you know, perfect, a perfect vehicle for like left ideas. But um, at the same time, one of Roddenberry's like main ideas that he developed in the original series that they, they stick to extremely tightly, no matter what people on the Internet say, um, is a, this idea of doing exploration uh, not in the way that it was done in the age of exploration on Earth, but in a specifically anti-colonial and anti-exploitive and anti-interventionist uh, ethos. So the prime directive, the prime directive one of the highest, you know, one of the highest laws of the Federation. Um, they they're going around and they are spe- they want to meet other cultures, they want to interact with them, um, but they're specifically prohibited from. Uh, in interfering in their internal uh affairs like and this is a this so this is explicitly anti-imperial right they don't go and shove their weight around and they talk about this very directly they also are you know hint about a you don't see it as much because it's mostly about these characters on a sh- on this you know ship of exploration but they do talk about us vaguely here and there about a society that where there is no hunger there's no want and it's not because of uh the miracles of innovation and capital it is strongly implied that, uh, you know, that you, there's no profit and there's no, uh, you know, maybe not even any money, you know, like it's some some kind of utopian future. And that doesn't always make sense and it's not always consistent. And when they're focusing on one idea in an episode, they might like miss a trick on some other idea that like maybe doesn't line up with this sort of vision of the future. But broadly sort of has paints this very optimistic uh vision and uh it's very appealing and um you know it's uh it's pretty good uh and then if you get and you like uh next generation and you wish it didn't have to end but you're like i want more of this but like let's let's take it even farther and even better then deep space nine is there waiting for you and um all i will say about that is the first thing you'll think in that episode is, oh my God, you got to be fucking kidding me with these Ferengi. They cannot be main characters on this show. They rule. And the, yeah, the actual thing is, which 
at some point you will realize if you keep watching it, oh, wait, the Ferengi literally are the best part because they are us. They're capitalists. They're disgusting, misogynist capitalists who, you know, have to interact with uh, other cultures. And um, it's hilarious because they're uh, they're awful. Um, but it's great. It's they're the funnest part. So, OK, that is my pitch to finally take this time to um, binge Star Trek. And uh, you're welcome. If you do this, you're welcome to hit me up with your thoughts, um, you know, uh, to discuss, um, to refute anything I've said here or to uh, add to it. Brian, are you there? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've completely lost Greg. I'm not getting any audio from him. <laughs> oh, okay. I have him for like five Brian? or six minutes. <laughs> oh, yikes. Okay. Well, he's finished now. So you had a recommendation. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll give you uh, uh, something to binge if uh, you don't give a shit about Star Trek, uh, which is actually something good, which is between Netflix and Amazon Prime right now, all these movies are currently streaming and should be watched. This is part of a, a, a you know, Johnny Depp mid-career, height of his powers, Sleepy Hollow, The Ninth Gate, From oh, Hell. Ninth Gate, yeah. All of them are streaming. All of them should be watched immediately. Remember that there was actually a time he was actually a pretty decent actor. And he did these weird kind of uh, other than ninth gate period horror pieces that are actually quite good. Interesting. I didn't know those were available. A lot of the A24 movies were up on Prime 2. Mm-hmm. Like Midsummer, you can you can stream now. Yeah. Best movie of last year. Yeah. Uh, I had some book recommendations before we go. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Uh, well, one book that rules that I read recently is um, Roadside Picnic, which mm. if you like science fiction, definitely recommend that one. And another one that I would recommend that feels obliquely uh, related <laughs> to um, the times at hand is uh, Cormac McCarthy's Outer Dark. So check oh. that one out. You'll feel real great in quarantine after you read it. <laughs> I remember we were talking the other day about um, Roadside Picnic and... Uh, just uh, some of yeah. There are some okay. some of the most like haunting uh scenes. Yeah, uh, incredible book. Just really, like, truly. really fucking, real fucking weird uh stuff that sticks with you. Yeah, can't recommend it enough. All right, Brian, let's hear it. All right. I also started leafing through this book uh, early last week for no reason whatsoever. Uh, it's by a guy named Rajani Palm Dutt, who was a member of the British Communist Party. He wrote a book called Fascism and Social Revolution in 1934. And basically, he was looking at the rise of fascism in Europe, uh, which in trying to explain sort of its origins and things like that, part of which he uh, lays at the feet of liberal parties. And he has this little bit here I thought that we might uh, uh, read here, but... Uh, He's talking about liberal parties or social democratic parties in the European context. Uh, The social democratic and trade union leadership act as an agency of the employers and of the ruling class within the working class ranks, preaching defeatism and opposition to struggle and where the outbreak of working class struggle becomes inevitable, directly disrupting the struggle from within. And he talks about how they essentially midwife fascism into power. I don't know why I just picked it up and started leaping (laughs) through it. Uh, But, you know, it just seemed, you know, apropos. So, uh, Fascism and Social Revolution by Rajani Palm Dot. Pick it up. It's a banger. Right on. <laughs> Sounds awesome. All right. Well, was it? Oh, you know what? We actually had some patrons to thank. Oh, nice. Uh, oh, sweet. Yeah. Um, so Alex Warshing, Ryan Paul, Ketera G, Rebecca Brunn, thank you so much. 
this was delayed. I think many of you should have been thanked weeks ago, but it didn't happen. We, so we we're thanked thanking one you or now. two last week. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe you're getting doubly thanked. Uh, <laughs> in which case, uh, yeah. If you if you want to be cool like them, um, give us five bucks. Hear all kinds of <laughs> all kinds of extra stuff on yeah, the Patreon. Double the content. Yep. Yeah. In these trying times, when you just need uh, your parasocial friends to fill the hours, uh, we're there for you. Yeah, and we should mention too that um, we're just starting out a new sort of podcasting arm, which is called Mechanical Freaks Presents. And if you sign up for Patreon, you'll be able to get access to those episodes a week in advance before they go public. And so far we have one called The White Plague that Brian did um, with friend of the show, Marianne. So check that out. That one's public now, but we'll be putting more of those out in the future. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's good content. Yeah, and a lot of people are worried about the toilet paper shortage. Not enough people worried about a content shortage. So, you know, <laughs> load up. I think at that at this point, that would be impossible. It's the one thing we have <laughs> more of than anything else. I don't know. You keep hearing about peak content these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, unless you two have anything else to say. No. Nah. It's been nice chatting with you guys. Nice to hear your voices. Um, Hope everyone out there in podcast land is uh, holding it together. Um, You know, keep your spirits up. Uh, I know I won't, but you should. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, yeah, uh, take care of yourselves, and hopefully we'll catch you next week. Bye.